0: Hey there, this is Pete Townsend from Norio Ventures, and this is the first episode of Season 2 of Money Never Sleeps, or Episode 32 if you're counting. Money Never Sleeps is a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at what makes them do what they do. Money Never Sleeps is kindly sponsored by Top Tier Recruitment, a specialist recruitment consultancy in fintech and financial services based in Dublin, Ireland. In this episode, we talk to Rich Corbett, founder of thestartup.com. Owen and I both met Rich recently in Dublin, as he's working on a few new ideas to help the startup community and those that engage with the startup community in Ireland. Given how much time Owen and I spent with startups in 2018, it makes complete sense to start the first episode of 2019 with someone like Rich. Also, Rich is originally from Massachusetts like me and a fan of the New England Patriots, so go Pats! With that, on with the show. Here we go again. Welcome to Money Never Sleeps. We're here in the WeWork Dublin Landings offices in the offices of our sponsor Top Tier Recruitment. I'm Pete Townsend. And I'm Owen Fitzgerald. And we're here with Rich Corbett, founder of the startup.com. Welcome to the show, Rich. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to have you here, Rich. So, Rich, we all met last month through a mutual friends. Maybe start by giving us a backstory as to how you ended up here, as it's a unique
1: one. Um, I think we, we've heard it, but it'd be good to share it with our listeners. Sure, sure. So, um, I'm a Boston man originally, and uh, met a beautiful Irish girl from Clontarf back in Boston around the turn of the century. And uh, after 15 years in Boston, she persuaded me to come back here for a two-year stint, and here I am, five and a half years later. How how did she persuade you? What was the what was the thing that did it? Oh, we would come back twice a year, and uh, you know, between the love of the Irish golf courses and like, an occasional pint, uh, it was a nice pace of life. And having five children, we thought it would be a nice opportunity to uh, get back to her family. And it's a it's a great environment uh, to raise kids. Okay. And
0: from a career perspective, um, you've shared that with me in terms of the the places
1: you've been and the the, the, the types of firms you've worked for, but now you're doing something quite interesting. Sure. Yeah. Well, I started my career in investment banking uh, at Bear Stearns, Um, and then I went into a San Francisco boutique bank called Hamburg and Quist, which uh, brought a lot of neat companies public like Apple and Amgen, that sort of thing. Uh, I migrated from there into Venture Capital for EMC Corporation, which has a large presence here in Ireland. And uh, upon moving here, uh, I've managed and run a IPO-centric hedge fund, Palm Street Capital, since 2002. So I uh, would be very active in the U.S. stock market, and the focus of that would be as companies go from private to public to look at those opportunities and there's an information gap there when a company comes public as an investment bank, if they're part of the deal, cannot comment about that company for 30 days. So our model's always been that if you did the research, we could hopefully uh, come up with evaluations and some metrics before uh, Wall Street published on it. And that would be our advantage. So that's what we've been doing for a long time. And then um, I've always had an interest, uh, you know, through that background of, of trying to find good companies early. And I guess over the years I find myself coming further and further downstream and looking at companies earlier in their life cycle. So, uh, I've been involved with, uh, quite a few companies in the U S from an angel perspective. Um, I was the founder of a company called yoga.com, uh, with my wife when she was doing her, MBA, and we were selling yoga mats and yoga blocks and that sort of thing. Uh, I've been involved with a lot of uh, interesting companies from that perspective. And uh, one of the um, arrows I guess I had in my quiver was a company called thestartup.com, which uh, we always kind of thought about what would be a good fit for it, what's a good business angle. And about two years ago, I met somebody that was here for the Web Summit. I think that was the last year the Web Summit was here. And he had a great idea, and I said, I really like that. What's the name of the company? He said, it's called Idea Shares." I said, well, geez, it's, it's a nice business model, but I'm not keen on the name. He says, well, do you have a better one? I said, well, just so happens I own the startup.com. <laughs> 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 so we did a deal, uh, and we have opened a Dublin office, yeah. and uh, we've put a nice team together, and uh, we're having a lot of fun and getting a lot of traction. And what does the startup.com look to do? So the startup.com looks to help startup companies um, get to their next best action. And for some people, that might be, hey, don't leave your day job. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. For other people, it might be, geez, you need a little more education, a little more knowledge about this before you dive in. Uh, for other people, it would be to help them find funding, uh, which uh, sometimes uh, I'll do personally. And put money to companies. Sometimes it's using our network. Um, we're exploring a few other options uh, as well uh, to help in that vein. Um, and we um, feel like we can help companies. Uh, it, you know, There's a very vibrant startup scene here in Ireland, mm-hmm. but I think it can get a little bit confusing sometimes. And hopefully we can give a little bit of clarity to that, f- to folks, and help them navigate that. And uh, we're finding some nice companies and we're assembling a nice portfolio of companies uh, in the meantime. So it's about putting a bit of structure, I suppose, around people's ideas and the path that they're going through? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, We've built a software platform called the Ecosystem, which is essentially a dashboard that helps an entrepreneur get about to uh, the things that we feel they should be doing on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. Uh, So we kind of keep them to a, a, a rigor to say this is what we think is the next action that needs to be achieved to get to the next milestone. And we kind of track that and we help push them along uh, to keep along that timeline.
0: Okay. Interesting journey. And you mentioned a few minutes ago um, going downstream from IPO, right? And I think that's pretty cool. And and just let, let's look at that for a second. My, my own um, experience in terms of helping startups have, has been just that. It's a natural helpfulness that's there, right? And I went to directly to where my sweet spot is, which is in Fintech, primarily in, in capital markets and some other deep tech areas. And you're approaching it from the perspective of all that time with Hebreck and Quist, right? where you were on the IPO side, and then with uh, the, the IPO-focused hedge funds, um, going then deeper, as you said. What was that first trigger to go deeper um, beyond, okay, here's some companies that are about to go public, but then getting, what, what was it in, in your head that got you to that point?
1: Well, I was at Hamburg and and we brought a company called, public called E-Trade. Yeah. And it was kind of at that point when I would call a client and say, geez, this is a good company. I think we ought to invest. <laughs> and I would generate a commission for that, and I would get paid a percentage of that. And E-Trade came out and said, geez, we're going to bring that Commission from three hundred dollars down to thirty dollars. Right. And I said, you know, the little light bulb and I and said, guy, you're in the wrong business here. Yeah. So I left there and I went into the venture capital world. Yeah. And it was corporate venture. So um, at that time it was uh, in vogue to have a corporate VC yeah. sponsor. But we were investing in some great companies and I was sitting down with companies, uh, Walmarts and Toys R Us and Time Warner and said, you know, we want to build a website or we wanna get into this thing called broadband. Yeah. And this big empty pipe. And you, you said, you know, it was a little hard to get your head around it back then. But that, now you look at what's going on and, you know, you saw what was going on there. So uh, at that point, I basically said, you know, and I started seeing a lot of opportunities come across. We had a network with all the major venture capital firms in the States. So they started showing me ideas. And I said, geez, this one really has, you know, a tiger by the tail here. So I would start putting a little bit of my own money into these things. And I think that's what led me to kind of say, okay, um, I can help these companies. I can point them in the right direction and get them to that next best action, which you know a lot of times would be funding in the states. Um, you know there's a tremendous amount of money there um, and get access to that. And then when I came here, um, the same thing started happening, where you know some of my uh, connections uh, both in the states and people that I met here started showing me opportunities. And I was really struck at the valuation difference. You know, uh, the same company here that's raising money at a $1, $2 million valuation, you could bring them over to Boston or New York or San Francisco, and you'd be talking 5 to $10 million mm-hmm. valuations. So to me, it's, it's, geez, I can get in good companies, good founders, you know, really sharp folks at, at a deep, deep discount.
2: What, what do you think is driving that difference in valuation? Like funding here or
1: different kind of um, mindset than the U.S.? I think it's the mindset, to be honest with you. I mean... Um, Most of the startups that I would meet in the US or even in their decks would have this kind of grandiose unicorn vision. And, you know, a lot of Irish guys would say, geez, if I could sell that company for 20, 25 million dollars and get that black Range Rover in the house, you know, down in Docky or up in Hoth and, you know, maybe buy a pub, I mean, happy days. Um, So as an investor, if I'm coming in at a one to two million dollar valuation and they get to that 20, 25 million dollar, you know that's that's a great return. Um, it's not a unicorn. I mean, Ireland's starting to get there. We're getting the first couple, couple of companies that are getting near that. Uh, I would love to see a couple of companies get to that milestone here by staying here, by perhaps doing their IPO. Uh, you know, in Ireland, in London, and kind of keeping it here versus you know the typical model at this point, which is when you get to scale. It's, hey guys, you can keep the dev team here, but we need you to pack up and move over to San Francisco. Yeah. yeah.
2: And that's a challenge, I suppose. Like we see with a lot of companies here, it's that trying to expand, because it seems like is a great place for building and testing out your ideas, but you know, to really make a difference internationally, then you need to go to the bigger markets. And I suppose it's different in the US. You can have a company do fantastically well selling in the US. Yeah. And I suppose it's a challenge and the companies you're working with then or that you've done some kind of personal investment in, how do you help them or how do you work with them?
1: Well, um, yeah, I'll give you an example, we uh, are involved with a company called Seed Golf, which is um, a guy down out of Carlo Institute of Technology. And he has reverse engineered a Titleist Pro V1 golf ball to, to, to some extent. Um, there's guidelines as to what you can do with a golf ball. So they're all really kind of up against that line in terms of distance and compression. Um, so we met Dean. We liked the idea straight away. You know, uh, it's a product that everybody loses golf balls. Uh, some of us more than others. Um, and his, uh, business model is that like that of a dollar shave club, which, um, I don't know how popular it is yep. here, but it's essentially, it's the same quality product, but it's half the price. Uh, anybody was going to buy razor blades, and you, you know, you finally track down that person with the key, and they let you in there, and then you go to the counter, and you realize what you're paying. So,
0: yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for our American listeners to buy four Gillette razor blades here, the latest ones, it's 20 euro.
1: It's crazy. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, Dean is doing the same thing with golf balls. Um, so you know, a dozen Pro V1s here would be about 50 euros. He sells them online direct to the consumer for 25. So he's had a tremendous amount of success. Uh, We've helped him raise a quarter million dollars. I put a little bit of my own money in there. Um, We have done uh, corporate partnerships with Bank of Ireland, with Aer Lingus, the host of companies. Uh, We've got a really interesting uh, marketing angle to this whole thing. He's very good on the marketing front. Uh, We're launching the ball in the U.S. uh, next week at the PGA of America Golf Show uh, down in Florida. And um, we've introduced a line of clothing, hats, golf gloves. We've got a golf glove called the Full Irish. Okay, which, good. Which is a, an all weather golf glove, uh, actually made in white. Most golf gloves are black for some reason, but we've made this white. Um, but Dean has a lot of traction, uh, monthly sales hit new records every month. And I think the next best action for him is getting get him into the US, which is 60% of the golf market. Um, continue on with this, um, you know, building that brand. You know, with the thought of we don't have the money to pay a guy a million bucks to wear our logo on a golf shirt. So how do you go about that? And we're using social media. We're using a lot of influencers. uh, We're getting some golf reviews. And it seems to be working. Okay. Okay. How quickly do you kind of get to business model with the startups that, you're,
0: that you talk to? I mean, I, I meet a lot and where it's very clear that they're solving a problem we're solving, um, but sometimes it's can you convince enough people to give you a bag of money for the problem you're solving? Do you look at it from kind of a technical perspective in terms of your background in the, in, in the markets and the types of things you looked at in the past that kind of you've got a real knowledge about, or are you looking at it from the perspective of how you're going to make money?
1: Um, a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, we want to stay in areas that we feel we have uh, a, an understanding of uh, the, in, you know, the industry and what's going on there. So we're, you know, we would know a fair bit about software as a service, uh, cryptocurrencies, medical devices. Um, obviously, I've been involved with some e-commerce stuff along the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, But that doesn't mean uh, we won't look outside of those areas. We just did a property tech play. Uh, Here that I'm excited about. I think they got a lot of potential. Um, But uh, one of the things we do is what we've built is an assessment tool on the front end of the startup.com website where you can come in and without divulging your idea, you can take this 30-minute or so assessment, uh, which kind of delves a little bit into what is it that you're looking to achieve, what's your expertise there, how much do you know about that industry, What does the competition look like? And then it'll generate a score from zero to 1,000. And then we will give you a free 40 page SWOT analysis. So, what we're finding is people come to the site, they take the assessment, and it seems like our sweet spot seems to be around 550 to about 750. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it is asking you questions, so you can be a little bit delusional, I guess, and, you know, Say you know I'm the master of all domains and right. you know, maybe score a thousand on that, but right. we we tend to find that those aren't realistic. Uh, and those people that kind of fall in that space, we typically will engage with and say, "Geez, you know, you did pretty well on the score. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you're working on, or sit down and and, and or send us you know a little bit more information?" And that is kind of our filter tool, because uh, I think you could probably sit down and, and have meetings or coffees nonstop. At this point, or at that stage, that you know that where we're, you know, involved, and it's kind of our filter tool to say, okay, let's take, you know, the the twenty-five ideas or pitches or decks that might come across my deck in a week, mm-hmm. and narrow it down to the two or three that we should sit down with and learn a little bit more. Okay, all right, that that works.
2: Uh, and it's I'm just thinking of it now because there was a lot of press coverage and twitter coverage over the weekend around vc and the business model uh the new york times had a piece i think it interviewed 50 startup uh, ceos and they were talking about how you know vc doesn't fit and it doesn't work anymore and a lot of them aren't looking for that money in the same way but i suppose how do you see the difference then with irish companies because obviously typically people would go to vc to kind of supercharge their growth or it'd be seen especially in the u.s that you're raising a lot of money to hit that unicorn level and then how do you see that fitting in an irish point of view in terms of working as a fund or you know, ideas like that where you do multiple investments in irish companies which may have a lower kind of uh path of where they're trying to get to or what their focus is they're only looking to get to the 10 20 million which is maybe not the typical kind of vc space
1: yeah i mean i um do a fair bit out in San Francisco with, you know, kind of the top decile VCs. Um, I'm uh, active uh, here. Uh, I work with Silicon Valley Bank and Clive Lennox, who's the man on the ground here in Dublin, does a great job. Uh, But we're involved with some of these top decile VC funds out there. And the amount of money that they have is absolutely staggering. Uh, SoftBank has just come in with an, an enormous fund. Enormous funds. So it's causing the next tiers, the Sequoias and the Kleiner-Perkins, to also be raising these multi-billion dollar funds. So the thought of them coming to Ireland and, you know, and stroking checks for, you know, a quarter million, half a million, a couple of million, but it, it's just not what they want to do. So I think, um, you know, what we're looking at is the thought of putting together a fund to say, okay, if we were to give those guys an option to look at the best, you know, half a dozen companies coming out of Ireland, would there be an appetite for that? And the feedback we've gotten has been pretty positive about that. Um, but you know, you do hear CEOs lament here about the lack of venture funding. Um, you know, part of me says, "Listen, it's a good idea. The money will find you." Yeah. You know, so I don't think that's you know an, an excuse or a crutch to use. Um, obviously, there's huge incentives through EI and and the government here uh, with matching monies and their in- involvement. So. There's plenty of opportunities to get access to funding, and the other, you know, the other thought is you can run some companies pretty lean and mean. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know you don't need a mahogany desk and you know um, ergodynamic chairs. You know, sometimes I find the best companies that I get involved with usually have the worst offices and the worst chairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but they're sitting down and they're getting the work done. So you know, our model is get the work done. You know, we kind of keep you to a methodology, and you know, if we say we'd like this by Friday and we like this by next Friday, and those things. Don't get delivered, you know, and it starts to become repetitive. Then we kind of just, you know, you know, cut bait and say, okay, we're gonna move on to you know other things because obviously our time is valuable. And that's pre-investment, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> pre-investment. <laughs> Post-investment, so little, little a little, it's good. It's a little harsh. bit hard to,
0: to, to cut and run, right? <laughs> um, it, did you ever think about doing something different than what you're doing right now? I mean, you're you, you got a lot of things going on, but I can see it all fitting together neatly into rich, right? Um, and and what you like to do is is there ever another part of you that says, "Well, I should be doing something different, um,
1: more focused, perhaps"? Or, um, you know, at this point, um, I, I like. The direction it's gone—it seems to have all worked out. My brother and I sometimes sit back and uh, have a laugh about it. Um, you know, things weren't—you know—the easiest growing up, and uh, um, I was kind of under the belief coming out of school that I needed to go somewhere I could make money. Yeah. And I was pretty focused on that for better or for worse. And I started right out of college making five dollars an hour as a cold caller. I was given two telephones. Two stacks of lead cards, and I made a thousand phone calls a day. There you go. And um, I stuffed a thousand envelopes a day. Yeah, yeah,
0: for about the same. But that was in high school rather than college. Yeah.
1: So you know, know, and I I think that's a lot—a really lost art nowadays—is actually picking up the phone and calling people. Um, Big time. I've got one guy that I'm working with. One guy
0: I'm working with, and he's like, "Just stop emailing. Stop sending Telegram messages. Stop sending Skype messages or WhatsApp. Just call them."
1: And it works. Yeah, it works. If and you if you pick up the phone and say, "Geez, can we can I come into your office and sit down with you fifteen minutes?" versus you know, hey, can I send you another text or can I send you another email? Because you know, I'd, I'd rather take a look at you and have, have a conversation. Have you noticed that context being different in
0: Ireland versus in the U.S.? Because where was I? Um, Well, it was just the other day, just on Friday. um, uh, One of the lawyers I'm working with needed to see me. I happened to be at Dogpatch Labs. Their office was just across the river. I popped over in 15 minutes, and that was great. And the more and more you do here, the more that that happens, you get that FaceTime with people. in When I was doing some work in London last year, uh, there was an element of that that I really found to be quite effective, where you could just jump over to somebody's office if you're in London for a few days. Um, how do you find that being different here versus in other countries where you've lived?
1: Um, I, I'd say it's more an age um, thing at this point where you know uh, people are more used to using technology, I guess. Yeah. Uh, than I was. So, you know, the, the thought to me, and I try and ingrain it into my kids, you know, as they go out and you know, try and get their careers going, is pick up the phone, <laughs> stick your head in the office, yeah. you know, because it does work, you know, and people, you know, that's how you create a bond, and it's tough to create a bond over an email. Yeah. Yeah. And, and coming back to your point before that around, um, I know the companies I'm looking at,
2: especially when I'm talking to founders, I really like to have seen some sort of sales background or some sales experience because I think it's invaluable especially face to face I know that I, I mentioned on a podcast before when I was the guest that um, some of the stuff when I've sold things online I found far more I, I learned far more about myself by actually drop, bringing something to someone's house or whatever to barter you know than when I was working at Barclays and I was just selling their products because people come to Barclays and want the products you know the price is irrelevant in some ways but actually trying to sell your own stuff to people makes such a difference and I see that with then the founders we work with. And coming back to what you were saying there about some of the roles you've had, and you Pete as well, like it's experience that not everyone has, but you're out there selling your product all the time. Oh, big time.
1: Or you're, or you're selling yourself. Yeah. You know, whether you want to you know, go up and ask that girl for a dance or whatever, it, you know, always be selling. I found being honest works so well, right? Um, two, on
0: Friday, small sales, not even sales, they were raising money for something. Um, and both were based on empathy. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but both things that I did on Friday that I closed were based on me expressing empathy. Um, and it worked. And
2: it wasn't duplicitous. It was just, hey, this is how I feel right now. How do you feel about this? Great, let's do it. right? Um, and b- based then on the volume of stuff you've been looking at, I suppose, is there anything any other sort of traits that you would see from your experience working with startups that,
1: you know, Maybe are are more valuable to founders than others. Um, you know, I just we just invested in a company uh, that I met with, um, and I think it was on the second meeting. Um, and I expressed uh, a possible pivot to the business. I said, "Have you thought about this? It seems to work, and, I, and it's fascinating to me. It's a it's an app that I would use and often, you know, a, a lot um, myself personally." They walked out of the meeting on Friday. They called me on Monday morning and said, Look what we built over the weekend. And just the speed at which they gave me a wireframe of of taking what I gave them as a concept and saying, Look what we've done, really was what put me over the edge to say, You know, I'll put money with these kind of guys because these guys are, you know, are hustling. And, you know, a lot of people will get stuck to their business idea and say, Geez, I've got this great solution. Uh, And the ability to kind of look at that and say, Well, it might be good, but this could be great. So, have we thought about this? So, would you look at this? And those people that are you know flexible like that and, and can adapt a little bit, um, because obviously there's a lot of startups chasing a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you, you know, I mean the number of ideas I've got of you know, hey, we're going to get a, a company to deliver beer to my dorm room. Yeah. You know, I've seen that one, you know, almost on a (laughs) weekly basis. You should see who we have coming up next. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing against getting that. But, I mean, you know, there needs to be a little bit more, you know, finding the opportunity. Even, you know, I've got some startups coming and they have this broad path of what they can do. You know, and I said, listen, why don't we zero in on one aspect of that? Mm. Get that right. Get a couple of customers unfold. and, And then we can think about, you know, expanding this over time.
0: Yeah, what we had Helen Fullan on from the NDRC uh, a few episodes ago, and her thing is to, as quickly as possible, get to go, no go, or pivot, right? And whatever solution that that founder has and whatever they're trying to work on from a business model perspective, just as quickly as you can, make sure that it's worth doing.
2: And it's worth getting And there. the same, when Chris Adelsbach from Techstars was here, he talked about actually you know, companies or start, founders being willing to listen to the feedback. Because often you get companies coming in and they've you know, done this before in a corporate setting or they think they're great and they have these board of advisors and they think they have all the answers and they won't listen then to the feedback. Whereas that example you just gave there, there's guys who took your feedback on board and instantly kind of did something with it.
1: And they got the money.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> what do you think in terms of for you to be successful at doing this, Rich? Um, What are some of the personality traits of yours that you can kind of think about to say, yes, this is why
1: it's worked? Um, You know, I I think I've, back to the cold calling, you know, analogy of a thousand phone calls a day. Yeah. You know, just to say, listen, there's going to be, I'm going to get as much work done as I possibly can. I'd look at a lot of prospectuses for IPOs. I look at a lot of business plans and I'll just tear through as many as I can to kind of, you know, sift through the chaff, yeah. you know, to get to the wheat. And um, I don't know. <laughs> is that is that industriousness? Is it OCD? <laughs> no, I think it's more industri- yeah. industrious. This, um, you know, uh, I'm pretty good at multitasking and kind of looking at a few things. And then, the, you know, the, the whole key to the whole thing is you've got to surround yourself with people smarter than you are and put a good team in place. Yeah. And I've, I've got Finn Murphy running the startup.com for me, uh, Dylan O'Reilly, um, I've, I you know, we've got a really sharp group of guys that uh, are doing a great job. And, um, you know, they're a pleasure to work with. So, yeah, I'm excited about where we're going. And I think Ireland is just such a great little micro environment uh, to start a company. You know, all the Fortune 500 companies are here. There's a great engineering influx that's starting to happen. Um, you know, there's the government subsidies. So, you know, get it right here. Get it working here. Then you can go across ponds either way. You know, again, find that first key customer, listen to what they want, listen to what changes, you know, they're recommending to you and just go for it.
2: Yeah. Great. Well, look, I mean, I know we, we, we've we all talked before and we can continue talking for hours on end, no doubt. Uh, we'd like to wrap up with a final question, which is what would people not expect to know about you?
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, I was a basketball player in college, so um, that was my game. And then I fully immersed myself in the Irish culture and I am now a member of the Benader men's hurling team. Oh really? So I am out there with the hurl. All right. Giving it a go.
0: I think I'm becoming a GAA coach <laughs> for my sins. <laughs> my kids are involved in Stars of Erin and uh, in Glenn Cullen, so I'm going for it. I, I won't be out there with a hurl though.
2: That's what we like to see, we suck you in you see. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it. Here I am, year five of my two-year plan. Good man. All right. Well, well, listen, thanks very much Rich for being on the show. Thanks, Thanks,
1: for Rich. To
2: you. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure. Great. So
0: that wraps things up for this episode, but don't go just yet. We'd like to thank Rich for opening up his mind for the 32nd episode of Money Never Sleeps, a podcast brought to you by Norio Ventures and Owen Fitzgerald and sponsored by Top Tier Recruitment. You can find out more about Rich by checking out thestartup.com. It's a great URL, isn't it? If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Money Never Sleeps on iTunes and leave us a review. Each one helps. Or you can subscribe via our podcast website to other media channels like Spotify and Stitcher. So just go to the subscribe page on www.moneyneversleeps.ie and follow the links. If there's someone you'd like to see featured on an upcoming episode of Money Never Sleeps, drop us a line on info at moneyneversleeps.ie or get in touch on Twitter at Pete TownsendNV or at owenfitzgerald 9 Check out the show notes on moneyneversleeps.ie for more detail as well. Besides producing this podcast, Norio Ventures partners with fintech founders and established players in financial services to build new ventures and blaze new trails. And we do our best work when we're helping established players and startups simultaneously. Check us out on norioventures.com to learn more and get in touch. In short, we find economic reasons to be helpful. Finally, we'd like to thank Conan Brophy from Create Sound for recording and editing this podcast. Till next time, thanks for listening. See ya.